praise. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this fantastic opportunity to gather together as family in the unity of the faith. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for giving us the time and the space, the energy, and the perseverance, regardless of all the distractions and the white noise in this world, to, to gather together and break bread this way, the very bread of life. Thank you for the completed canon of Scripture, for in it we find life itself. Thank you most of all for sending your son to die in our stead, to cancel out that debt, to make an evening like this even a reality. May we never become familiar with it, but live in that gospel reality. We do just ask that you bless and sanctify this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, American Dating is a Counterfeit, Part 4. <coughs> Excuse me. On Tuesday, we began with a very practical statement that we can all agree on, I believe. We are master justifiers. And uh, it's true. If we're honest, we are as adept at justifying ungodliness in our lives as just about anything else. DJ's nodding his head. We're just really good at it. We just, when we have something we want to do, we can justify just about anything. And it doesn't matter if it's ordained by God or not. That's like a secondary, maybe a tertiary consideration. We're just good at justifying stuff regardless of what's smack dab in front of us, what we're convicted of, or even what the repercussions might be. That's the craziest thing. But nonetheless, we started this way. If we're honest, we are as adept at justifying ungodliness in our lives as just about anything else. And the same arrogance that performs such things is the same one that may be trying to quell the convicting ministry of the Spirit right now. It's the same arrogance. In other words, we don't want to hear it. We just don't want to hear it sometimes, right? We don't want to hear the truth sometimes because the truth really has a, a, a massive ripple effect in our lives. And I believe um, that that's why he's so patient with us is because these massive changes don't occur overnight. They take time. Um, but nonetheless, don't let evil continue to complicate your lives. That's been the message. Don't let evil continue to complicate your lives. Think about this as plainly as possible. When stricken with the absolute truth in the Word of God, when the mind of Christ is clearly articulated in the Bible, and when the Spirit's wholly convicting us of said truth, we have to ask ourselves, why, oh why? is our first reaction to truth that is contrary to our own ungodliness to try to find a, quote, loophole in the holy doctrines of God. Why is that always the case? Well, I don't think it says that, or I don't think it says this, or, uh, you know, it doesn't exactly say that. 
or it doesn't exactly not say that. So instead of actually abiding in what we might call the spirit of the law, which is love, the law of Christ, we try to find loopholes because we justify everything that even might be ungodly in our lives. So why a why is our first reaction to find a loophole in the holy doctrines of God. Why do we expend so much energy even? Life would be a lot simpler if we just accepted the truth, made the appropriate adjustments in our lives, and pressed on. Why do we spend so much energy wrestling with the Holy Spirit's convictions? My question is, isn't it plainly obvious? And if you don't see it, let me explain. We are escape artists, after all. In general, people don't want the truth. We, DJ, how many times a week we have this conversation? Almost every time I talk to DJ, or anybody for that matter, it's this same statement. People just don't want the truth, because typically I'm sort of heartbroken about something, and he's like, I'm with you, man. Uh, they just don't want the truth. And that's really heartbreaking for somebody who, um, you know, their whole life is commissioned to spread the truth and, and try to at least be in the path of setting people free. Uh, in general, people just don't want it. They just don't want the truth. And it's, it's flabbergasting because the truth shall what? Set them free. It's the craziest thing. They'd rather be in bondage to some lust of the flesh or something ungodly. It's incredible. The truth is light, but the darkness in them hates the light. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And so there's a motivational issue there. Why don't people want the truth? Because they're afraid of their lives, their lifestyles, their day-to-day -day decisions will be exposed because that's what light does. You turn the lights on and you realize you're a mess. So just don't turn the lights on. Live in darkness. And even beyond that, let's just call our new darkness light. And we'll all agree And how great is your darkness when you're thinking of light, that whole thing. This is why many turn away, leave the faith, or ignore conviction. Because people just don't want the truth. So as I stand here today, I am quite confident that some of you are ignoring the convicting ministry of the Spirit in your life right now. Why? Because you don't like the truth. It's that simple. You don't want the truth. You like some other version, some perversion of the truth, even though it's designed to set you free. In fact, by your lifestyle choices, you have proven this statement to be true. You can say all you want. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. Well, if you agree, then why is your life and why are you making and consistently making these lifestyle choices? If you agree, why do you keep on making these decisions then? And again, this isn't Pastor Ed making some judgment about you. May it never be. Rather, as the man serving you truth, I'm merely stating that if you now have the Holy Scripture, then God now holds you personally responsible to it. I've done my job. He's served it up. American dating is a counterfeit. I've done my job. And now you're 
all of you are held personally responsible to the details of these messages. So if you continue in your lifestyle of sinning, just know that God knows that you know it's a sin. Again, if you continue in your lifestyle of sinning, just know that God knows that you now know it's a sin. See, before maybe you could claim ignorance, I didn't understand, but now you know. As Scripture states up here on the board, Luke 12, 48 in the message, the servant who knows what his master wants and ignores it or insolently does whatever he pleases will be thoroughly thrashed. But if he does a poor job through ignorance, he'll get off with a slap on the hand. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities. And some of us get a chuckle over such things because we say to ourselves, you know, been there, done that. Challenged God one too many times in that area. Missing a few teeth, a few fingers. Still bearing a few bruises. I got a limp. A stutter. (laughs) Why? Because I'm arrogant. (coughs) I got scars that run the entire length of my body. Inside and outside. Figuratively, literally, possibly. Been there, done that. Remember what Holy Scripture says, especially those of you who persist in your arrogance and insolence. Go to Galatians 6, 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. Just remember this. I'm not the grim reaper bringing death. (laughs) I'm just a messenger. Galatians 6, 7. Remember this. Now that you've been told the truth about this abomination called American dating. Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Again, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Again, the principle the Spirit is developing here is a very practical one that some of you need to take to heart. Before divine discipline begins permeating your lives, if it hasn't already, up here on the board, again, we are master justifiers. If we're honest, we are as adept at justifying ungodliness in our lives as just about anything else. And the same arrogance that performs such things is the same one that may be trying to quell the convicting ministry of the Spirit right now. What the Spirit's saying is, uh, tread carefully. Thank God for the patience of God. Up here on the board, in general, people don't want the truth. Truth is light, but the darkness in them hates the light. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. John 3.20, this is why many turn away, leave the faith, or ignore conviction. Uh, I've seen all three of these in my tenure as a pastor. I've seen some turn away. I've seen some leave the faith, finding out later it's possible, likely they weren't even saved, or ignore conviction altogether and still sit there with a smug look on their face. So the point is, stop it. Stop it. That's it. Like, uh, what was that guy's name again? Oh, my God, Bob Newhart. Remember that? Five bucks, I'll be done in five minutes. Stop it! 
So just stop it. Whatever it is that is evil in your life, especially if it involves so-called, you know, dating American style, stop it. And stop trying to justify ungodliness. Stop looking for loopholes. Stop trying to justify something. Stop saying, well, from here on out, we just won't touch each other. Good luck with that. We'll just sit on opposite ends of the couch while we watch, you know, movies. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with your minds not filling the space. Good luck with that. So stop justifying ungodliness, especially in the area of the youthful lusts of the flesh. Ask yourselves why it is that you are clinging to fleshly things. Seriously. This is between you and the Lord. Ask yourselves why it is that you cling to fleshly things, such as the youthful lusts of the flesh. And pray to God about getting to the bottom of it, because it certainly isn't glorifying Him. Pray to God about getting to the bottom of it, because it certainly isn't glorifying Him. Some of you just thought to yourselves something like, you know, if I pray about it, He's going to blast me. In prayer, you know how it goes in prayer sometimes, you know, He's like, I got your attention now. And then He crushes you. And sometimes you walk away weeping, like I do. Um, so some of you say, well, if I pray about it, and if I give him that one-on-one -on -one time, he's going to blast me. You know, it's like when you were a kid and you had to go to the principal's office, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, it's going to be like one-on-one -on -one with the guy. You know, he's kind of scared. You know. And if he blasts you, then he's going to tell you that you need to change your lifestyle. He's going to tell you that. There's not going to be any you know, misgivings about it. He's going to use the lessons. He's going to say, remember all that scripture your pastor gave you? Yeah, I'm going to bring into remembrance all that right while we're praying. And you're not going to have any escape plan because I've got you in prayer. That's the beauty of prayer after all. He's got you where he wants you. You know what? The prayer life of that individual that's got that sort of attitude will suffer if they don't humble themselves. They won't pray, in other words. They'll avoid prayer. They'll avoid going to Him honestly and openly. And now, given that reality, they have another whole issue to cope with, don't they? Now they're not going to Him in prayer. Now, if you hack out prayer in your life, you are in a sad, sad state you are now in a downward spiral. So do you see how Satan works? Let me see if I can lead you through why we've been having these lessons. This is how Satan works. He has plans, remember. He's very patient. Uh, he is very organized in his approach. Very strategic. Sexual sins are a splinter. Prayer seeks healing, but it must be done Without prayer, fractures set in and widen over time. And the result is separation from God, which is the opposite of sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart for His purposes. If you allow a splinter to exist in your life, things like prayer, things like everything in life, are going to, that chasm between you and God, your relationship even, is going to suffer. 
And that's exactly what Satan wants. And you may say, no, I got it under control. No, you don't. Because the Bible says flee from those things. Did you miss those lessons? Because they're online. The Bible says flee from those things. You see, this whole emphasis on American dating is merely a symptomatic approach to a greater problem. If it isn't sexual sins, then, you know, Satan's going to use something else. I believe, personally, uh, based on my existence in America, that sexual sins um, are at the root of just about everything, including, Scott and I were having a conversation, including our economy. Think about it. How many things are sold without the use of sexual uh, sins? Soap? Seriously? Half-naked woman in a shower? What's that got to do? I just want to wash my hands here. You know what I'm saying? Everything is, you, everything is sold by sex. I was telling Scott, when I was in industry, um, I was in, uh, always in sales and marketing, and everybody was good looking. Why? Because sex sells. Because sex sells, that's why. That's why there's no ugly people in sales and marketing. Why? Because half the time they're selling something that maybe the client doesn't even really need. So if it's not sexual sins, it's something else, but whatever. If you read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know that sexual sins has been a favorite throughout human history. And in every account, directly or indirectly, God warns people of the consequences of ignoring his commands. Up here on the board, understanding consequences, it's true, we can make whatever decisions we desire in life. God gave us free will. However, since no thought or deed goes unnoticed by him, everything we ever do will be judged. Everything will be judged. That's understanding the consequences, which means that the, the way that you're living your life right now, God sees it all. There's no hiding out. There's no, just because you can play some game with some weird loophole that you found in the Bible to allow you to somehow magically cuddle up on the couch next to somebody who you just happen to find attractive, who somehow you're playing this game. Oh, no, I, there's, no there's nothing going on right now. Um. God sees your heart, and God knows exactly what's going on. So here's a couple of those references in the Amplified Classic um, that we have listed up there. Matthew 5.16, the Amplified Classic. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine so that you may glorify your Father who is in heaven. That includes moral excellence, praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds. How about 2 Corinthians 5.10? For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body whether good or evil, 
considering what his purpose and motive have been and what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. You're not really giving yourself and paying attention to the Lord if you're in an ungodly relationship. In fact, Satan knows very well that that's the last thing that's on your mind when you're in that situation. Again, the principle is, up here on the board, understanding consequences. It's true we can make whatever decisions we desire in life. God gave us free will. However, since no thought or deed goes unnoticed by Him, everything we ever do will be judged. So, regarding such principles, we need to ensure we aren't reacting like adolescent fools. We have to ensure that we aren't reacting like adolescent fools. So I was reflecting on this, and just concentrate for a moment. Let me see if I can get this through. God's more of a, a sovereign reality. In other words, he says, this is who, this is who I am. This is who I am. You have a choice to abide in my commands or not. I give you this thing. But from my perspective, this is who I am, and I'm the one who dictates reality. He's more of that, a sovereign reality person, than a threatening one, if that makes sense. In other words, he's not interested in disciplining people for the sole purpose of doling out pain. His discipline always has a purpose. Always, always, always has a purpose, as does any good father's. His discipline always has a purpose. While the adolescent may like to misrepresent him, that doesn't change a thing. I was thinking about that type of thinking up here in the board this adolescent strategy says something like this, you know, if I can just find a way to say that God is being unjustly harsh with me, then I can dismiss his judgments altogether. That's what an adolescent does. If I can find a way to say that God is being unjustly harsh with me, then I can dismiss his judgments altogether. This is akin to the way Satan reasons. He always attacks God's grace. This is satanic thinking. If you're looking for a way to justify your ungodly lifestyle, your American dating type lifestyle, if you're looking for a loophole, if you're looking a way to, for a way to justify that, then you are thinking satanically because that's the exact same reasoning that Satan used. And we call that an attack on grace. What you're really saying is, I want something that God doesn't want to give me by grace, so I'm going to seize it outside of His will for my life. That's an, that's an attack on His grace. You're basically saying, God, your grace is not sufficient for me. Because you don't understand, I need a girlfriend, or I need a boyfriend, and, and I need to have a little dark space in my life to fool around behind your everyone's back. I need that thing. You don't, you know, so just give me that thing. That's satanic. And that's an attack on God's grace. Case in point, Satan would argue that being single 
and not living in sexual sins. Now, there's a concept for the average American. Being single and not living in sexual sins. He would say this is some kind of unfair curse. That's what Satan would say. He would charge that that's unfair. It's some kind of a curse even. So, what does he do? He promotes sex and all its relatives, not just sexual intercourse as the world would define it. He promotes sex and all its relatives outside of the institution of marriage. In other words, as if to say, it's not fair that only married people get to enjoy sexual things. That's not fair. That's what Satan would say, and that's what a, a satanic thinker who wants to justify some ungodliness would argue, that somehow God's being unfair. Well, that's a complete attack on the grace of God. He'll then justify such ungodliness on the grounds that it's unfair that God has chosen some people for marriage while others not, at least not currently. That's somehow unfair. And that's what he'll promote. Up here on the board, more on the adolescent strategy that really does dovetail with satanic strategies. The problem with the, quote, fairness argument is that it is wholly based on human viewpoint. I think I wrote a blog on fairness being ridiculous, human fairness and that whole thing. But the problem with the fairness argument is that it is wholly based on human viewpoint. Only an arrogant human has the audacity to say that they can choose a better mate for themselves than God can. Only an arrogant person attempts to stuff dating into the holy category of courting. Not once in this series has the Spirit said to you, um, don't court if and when it becomes apparent that God wants you to court. Not once has he said that. What he's saying is, don't do that dating thing. At least not American style. Because that is unholy and ungodly. And leads to so many complications in life. Just look around. Look around. How many broken families are there? How many broken families started with ungodly dating. Oh, crap, I got pregnant. I forgot to take my pill. Now I'm pregnant. We got to have a shotgun wedding. You're married. Next thing you know, five years later, I never liked you in the first place. I thought you were hot, but I can't stand you now. Now you're ugly to me because you had no virtue before. Neither of us had virtue, so let's just get a divorce. And let's try this over and over again. And let's just keep doing this awful cycle. That Satan's like digging that. So, is it fair to say that the vast majority of daters have zero interest in marriage? At least not to the one they are dating. Is that fair to say? That the vast majority of people that are quote-unquote dating right now have zero interest in marriage. At least to the person they're dating right now. Is that fair to say? I think so. I think it's very fair to say. I think most people date with no concept or desire whatsoever of marriage. I'm saying the, the vast majority. They're just, quote-unquote, having fun and 
as the world would say, sowing their oats, whatever the heck that means. Right? Do you understand? So that's fair. Hence this running principle up here on the board. The Bible on sexual sins. Sex and even sexual thoughts are grace gifts from God, if and only if they are between a husband and a wife. Otherwise, they are fleshly. Disclaimer, do not confuse temptation with sins of the flesh. So, if you're not married, then anything that produces impure and immoral and or immoral thoughts or actions ought to be hacked out of your life. The Bible says run away, flee. The litmus test is very simple. You get confused, well, what does, you know, where's the line in the sand? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, part B, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If what you're doing doesn't bring glory to God, then stop it. If it's a lifestyle that you've been living, then stop it. So, this all you do to the glory of God means everything. Not just certain parts that give you the ability to point and say, see, I do this or that to the glory of God. Holy Scripture says do all. That is the objective and therefore the godly mindset. As I've taught you in the past, if God is the author of all good things, then functioning outside of Him produces just the opposite. This is what we might call the beginning of discipline. You might say to yourself, well, I haven't been smacked around by God and I haven't, you know, I don't know, I'm not dying of AIDS or something. Maybe I've got a little disease, you know. <laughs> but I'll just take a pill for that. This is the start of discipline. Do you understand? God gave you a good conscience. And that conscience is going to be defiled with unholy things. And there's no getting around it. When a person chooses a sinful lifestyle, they immediately take on the daily pressure of living outside the will of God. This robs them of their peace and contentment, for an unsettled conscience serves as an agitator. If they aren't agitated, they may have a bigger problem. And that was the first year and a half since the gospel reload. They may have a bigger problem. If you can live a lifestyle that's completely contradictory to God's will in your life, it's possible your heart was never changed because you have no love at all for Christ. So, when a person chooses a sinful lifestyle, they immediately take on the daily pressure of living outside of the will of God. This robs them of their peace and contentment, for an unsettled conscience serves as an agitator. And if they aren't agitated, they may have a bigger problem, salvation even. That is the beginning of discipline. Now, there was one last issue that the Spirit had me bring up, and it had to do with a two-way street. And I think Scott touched on this as well. Facts about a pure heart. A pure heart is defiled, is defiled when lust gives birth to sin. James 1.15 It's a sin to fall prey to temptation. But it's also a sin to prey on others through temptation. In other words, a two-way street. You can be the victim or the agency. And if you're the victim and you sin... Well, that's sin, obviously. But if you're out there tempting people so that they sin, you are now an agency for ungodliness, which is a sin. 
We noted this past week in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6, that love does not act unbecomingly, dishonorably, nor does it rejoice in unrighteousness. Do you really think it's righteous to tempt another human being? Do you really think it's a good thing to make another human being stumble? We were given Scripture on a more practical aspect of this. Go to 1 Timothy 2.9. Okay, cough it up, whoever's out there hacking and dying. Get it out of your system. Go for it, Brenda! Paul is like, I had to sit here. First Timothy 2.9. So there's a practical side, you know. And ladies, I think I don't have time to get into this, but for obvious reasons, you are often on the block. Because the Bible says that, you know, you're kind of the beautiful ones. I know men are, nowadays are trying to be beautiful. You know, doing like whole body waxes and manscaping eyebrow, you know, wearing everything like women do but women you were made more beautiful at least as far as i can see in the bible than men except for jesus he's he's the best but you know what i'm saying so you women are often on the block verse nine likewise i want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments all paul was getting there is that there might have been a problem at that point where people were overdressing, let's say, for church, making a should-do out of the situation, and that's not good. Modestly and discreetly up here on the board, I mean, you do come to church to learn, right? Not to impress other people or distract or make other people's husbands or even single men stumble. Modestly and discreetly. Modestly means with humility, avoiding the shame of attracting attention to oneself in a way that doesn't bring glory to God, Discreetly refers to self-control over sexual passions, not wishing to lead others into temptation. Again, verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. In other words, why not? Drop all the pretense and focus on means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Consider this as proper thinking, ladies, up here on the board. Regardless of what the world suggests, women are not on display for others. Get that through your head. That's in the church. That's outside the church. You are not a walking mannequin. You are not a floozy. You are not there to tempt other people. It sounds like an old-fashioned word, doesn't it? She's such a floozy. You know, whatever. But you're not, listen, you're not a display. Do you understand? If you want to display something, display Proverbs 31. You want to display something that shows virtue, display virtue. Display godliness. If your claim is godliness, then display that instead of your boobs or your butt or your whatever it is you're displaying. Do you understand what I'm saying? So regardless of what the world suggests, women are not on display for others. God designed women to be complementary to men, not objects. 
And I'm not saying, you know, somebody's, yeah, man. No, I'm talking to you, ladies. You're not an object. So stop acting like one. Do you understand what I just said? Stop acting like one. In fact, their true beauty has nothing to do with external appearances. 1 Timothy 2, 9-10, 1 Peter 3, 1-7. Like so much of Scripture on the topic of men-women relationships, the Bible gives us more specifics on the right way to do things than the multitude of ways that aren't right. Think about that. You know, it's, I don't usually, I get very few questions that involve the right way from people. Honestly, this is true, in and outside the congregation. Very few people say, hey, teach me about the way the Bible says to do this. Most people come to me and say, does the Bible say I can't do this? Right? Does the Bible say that I shouldn't do that? Well, not specifically, but I think your thinking might be a little off in the first place because why are you asking me this? Because you know what you're thinking isn't right, right? Oh, no, but the Bible, I can't see any, I don't see any scripture that says I can't, you know, throw my husband out or my wife out in the street. That's the, that's the most common one I've ever gotten. Can I divorce my, my husband or my spouse? Can I? Why are you asking me? Jesus said, let no man separate what God has joined. You got your answer. You know Jesus' heart, so why are you asking me that question then? You know why. Loopholes. The Bible gives us more specifics on the right way to do things than a multitude of ways that aren't right. In other words, Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. So you want to know my way? Focus on doing things right instead of trying to find loopholes to how to do things wrong. Focus on the right way and forget about everything else. Unless you know everything about the right way that's in these pages, you need to get started, don't you? See? In other words, you could live a hundred lifetimes and still not have everything in this Bible down pat that just describes the right way. But you see, most people don't spend nearly enough time trying to figure out the right way. They try to figure out all the ways that they can skirt or find loopholes or do things the wrong way so that there's no actual, literal scripture that says, oh, you know, it doesn't say, so therefore I can. I believe that if you focus on just the right way, those questions aren't even a problem. You're not even thinking like that anymore. You're not even thinking about ways that you can, man, you know, maybe if I put a, a pillow between us on the couch, maybe that will, like, guard sexual sin thoughts. And we, I can still get together with my, my lovey. Hey, honey, love you. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about, you know, you can't sit on a couch together. No, it doesn't. So like so much of Scripture on the topic of just about everything, the Bible gives us more specifics on the right way to do things in a multitude of ways that aren't right. For example, the Bible assumes the husband-wife relationship when it speaks of righteous 
man-woman romantic sexual relationships. Again, for example, the right way to, th to think about sexual things is to assume that it's a husband and wife. Because that's the only place that God assumes or states that it's righteous. Go to 1 Peter 3.1. 1 Peter 3.1. So we believers in Christ, we have to think this way. Instead of trying to find all the way, instead of, all right, here's another thing as you turn in 1 Peter 3, 1. I have seen people dig until they're visibly exhausted, trying to find something, some loophole, but they won't dig until they're visibly exhausted for the right way. They only dig when they're trying to find something to justify their ridiculousness. Does that make sense? They're only trying to find a loophole. And they spend all their time and energy. Oh, man, I'm going to research this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're scouring the pages looking for something that's probably not even there. But as soon as it comes time to actually seek out righteousness, you know, like seek righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Um, they don't want anything to do with it. They barely make it to class. And when they're here, they Don't believe me? Try being a pastor for a week. 1 Peter 3.1 In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even in, if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. That verse alone would drive the average woman bananas. You want me to sit around while he's being an idiot? That's what the Bible says. So just stop yakking. Stop being a female dog. Look at the lady's like, fangs. I'm not even looking at it. I'm just looking at Todd. I'm looking at the guys over there. They're like, yeah. It's true. Well, I didn't say this. If you, don't get mad at me. Isn't that what the Word just said? Unless you're reading a different Bible than me. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. You want to win your husbands over, ladies? Act like a woman. I said husbands, not your boyfriends who you're mugging up with. Your husbands, because that's the right way. But Satan has a counterfeit, doesn't he? Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Nothing wrong with looking good for your husband. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. You notice the clothing, that's, he doesn't say that's precious in the sight of God. Let the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, 
used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's the right way. Do you understand? That literally is, is almost the antithesis of the satanic counterfeit. The only thing that, I was just going to say the only thing in common is a man and a woman, but even that's not the same anymore because now we have same-sex marriages. So proper thinking, again, up here on the board, that was to amplify the point on the board. Regardless of what the world suggests, women are not on display for others. God designed women to be complementary to men, not objects, and that's something you women need to understand as much as men. In fact, their true beauty has nothing to do with external appearances. One of the most telling passages in Scripture on this topic of American, da American dating is a counterfeit. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's his will. And then he explains it. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Remember, unbecomingly, dishonorably. But this is the opposite. In sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles do, who do not know God. Up here on the board, your sanctification, such is the very will of God. The Bible immediately couples this thought with that you abstain from sexual immorality, verse 3. Revealing the contrariness of sexual sins, not just sexual intercourse that leads to conception. All of the sexual sins we've talked about, mental, physical, all of it, that's contrary to God's will. That is sexual immorality. Jesus Christ himself said such things you've committed in your heart, if you've even looked at her that way. Paul said, do not touch a woman unless she's your wife. All right, back to American dating, the counterfeit, in the godly original biblical courting. Go to 1 Corinthians 7.1. 1 Corinthians 7.1. You see, this is actually, if you, if, you, if you take the narrow road and you focus on what does the Bible say is the right order of things? What did God institute with man-woman relationships? It's actually very simple, isn't it? It's actually really simple. And I often think, I think of young people, especially because for some of the old people, it's, I'm not going to say it's too late, but they're just so damaged by now, it's horrible. But I think of young people and I think of how much simpler and how much less pressure there would be in their lives, boys and girls, if they didn't have the pressure of dating. In other words, if that was like off the table, just imagine a high school right now where there was no such thing as dating. Just imagine that. 
where, you know, boys and girls are not, you know, one week they were this dude and that week and this girls were, none of that even existed. There was no sex, no touching, no nothing. None of that garbage. I believe that the kids would be on top of the world. I'm serious. Half these kids are emotional train wrecks. The guy that lives down the street, hopefully he doesn't listen to this message. The guy that lives down the street, a girl, he had a daughter. I didn't even know it was him. He had a daughter that graduated behind me. Straight A student, um, National Honor Society, full ride ROTC scholarship to Yale. <clears throat> Follow a musician out to California, never got a degree, has four kids and never been married. And I'm not saying that's, you know, success by wills. I'm saying that, and the guy was almost in tears telling me this story. He goes, she followed a nitwit because she probably had sex, thought she was in love because of American dating. Next thing you know, she throws her entire life away for some idiot who then runs away. They're not even together anymore. Do you understand? That's not godliness. That's not the design for God. So I just feel for kids, and it's just awful. They're just so affected at such a young age. I mean, come on, kids having sex at 12, 13? 12 and 13, 14? That's not uncommon. It's incredible. And then here we have Scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Up here in the board, touching from hapto, of course, means to fasten, lay hold. The idea there is impact touching. Whatever kind of touching ignites something, you know, like sexual arousal. So what Paul wrote is very simple. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. And that really is one of the basic premises between courting and dating. That dating involves all kinds of touching. Holding hands, mugging it up, you know, so-called innocent kissing. To remain righteous, there should be no touching that ignites immorality, be it mindful or physical. Such touching is designed as a part of the exclusive domain of marriage. And I want you to stay on the narrow road again. Just think about how simple life is designed to be or would be in a perfect world if everybody followed God's design for man-woman relationships. We wouldn't have these problems. Nobody would be touching each other. Again, it's not good for a man to touch a woman, verse 2, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again that Satan will not, attempt, will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by, well, by way of concession, not command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am that was single. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, American dating is Satan's counterfeit, you see, up here on the board. 
we might consider American dating as Satan's counterfeit to godly marriage. The prior satisfies the lust of the flesh while disregarding the sovereign's design or divine will for marriage and family. This is why we see so many people simply, you know, living together. Let's live together. Let's move in together. Let's do this thing together. And even having babies outside of the institution of marriage. And our society thinks nothing of it, even applauding and encouraging it. Not only do they think nothing of it, just, you know, and this is like the end of Romans 1, where they're patting each other on the back for ungodliness. That's what's going on. Our society is so sick that it applauds things that are complete abominations of the divine institution of marriage and family. They, they, they applaud it. They encourage it. Oh, and uh, don't forget, if you're having illicit sex and you happen to get pregnant, just get an abortion. Do you think Satan's a great strategist or what? He's got all the things covered. He's got all the things covered. What do you think abortion's about? What do you think it's about? It's an enabler. It's an enabler for more ungodliness. Oh, that was simple. I just went out, got pregnant. Since I didn't want the baby, I just threw it in a trash can. I just got it aborted for a few hundred bucks. I'm back in action. I'm back. Let me just go get another relationship now. Let's go have another relationship. Now I have, like, built-in birth control. Yet here's what Holy Scripture has to say. Go to Hebrews 13.4. Hebrews 13.4. Satan is a brilliant strategist. And all of this stuff works against the holiness of marriage. All of it including this so-called American dating scheme. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge that's the narrow road. Do you see it? Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Marriage in the marriage bed, and that's a reference to sex, obviously, is a holy thing. So it makes total sense that Satan will try to destroy it with a counterfeit. One of the most common ways I see him do this is when a believer begins sinning with an unbeliever via this so-called American dating abomination. This is the one that drives me absolutely bonkers. Now, I can, get, I can understand, not anymore, not anybody in this congregation, but I can understand how someone might be a little confused about American dating. It's completely counterculture. But if you're a believer and you start dating an unbeliever, that makes no sense to me. Like, zero. Whatsoever. You have to be the most self-centered jackass in the history of all people. Because you should care enough about If you really care about them, you'll try to save them. Not by having sex or dating them, but by giving them the gospel. 
By dating them, by being ungodly, you are not showing the very love of Christ. You are showing the very opposite of the love of Christ. You are showing how selfish you are and how self-centered you are and how bound up in the lusts of the flesh you really are. Go to 2 Corinthians 6.14. But if that doesn't work for you, how about the direct approach? How about that? 2 Corinthians 6.14. How about the direct approach? If none of this you know, obvious logic works for you up to date. How about the direct approach on this one? 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, this is actually a general statement. This is, this is even a lower-grade uh, caution than the higher-grade dating scheme, if that makes sense. This is saying, as, as a general statement, believers even, just in general, don't be bound together with unbelievers. Never mind dating them, whatever the hell that means. Never mind an even more profound relationship with an unbeliever. It's going in the wrong direction, you see. (laughs) Are there any questions from any of you single people out there? It says in Scripture, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Are there any questions? I'll take them right now. Nobody's going to raise their hands. Are there any questions from you you single people out there on this topic? Thank you. 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? How do you mug up with somebody that doesn't... doesn't like Christ. Uh, there's only two options there that I can think of. Either you are that selfish person I described earlier, or you're not saved, so you don't care. Those are the two options in my book. Verse 15. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Seriously, what do you talk about? What do you even talk about? If Christ isn't the centerpiece in your life, I guess that makes sense. But if Christ is the centerpiece of your life, what do you talk about with an unbeliever? I have a hard enough time talking with my brother who I love. He's my flesh and blood, but he's an unbeliever. I have a hard enough time talking to him. I can't imagine if I was in a relationship with an unbeliever. What the hell would I talk about? Seriously, what would we do? Just play games all day? Oh, I know. We just have sex. (laughs) Silly me. I'm sorry, I was thinking I was thinking the narrow path, you know, I don't know. Oh, that's what it is. We'll just fill our time with ungodliness, with more ungodliness. Then we'll go out to dinner, and then we'll go have more ungodliness. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? That is befuddling. Satan's counterfeit marriage. Satan entices believers with attractive unbelievers. So, I get it. No, I really do. I get it. But, um, I get this too, that there is no, um, there's no business, there's no fellowship between a believer and unbeliever, unless something's goofy, like I described. Satan entices believers with attractive unbelievers. While believers ought to flee from this, they often fall prey to their lusts, regardless of biblical warnings. Satan knows the appetites of the flesh 
and desires to feed them with counterfeit food to keep us full. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.13. 1 Corinthians 6.13. Oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually over time. Let's just do this quickly and then I'll end. I didn't realize it went over. 1 Corinthians 6.13. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Um, any questions? Jesus Christ does not want any invaders in his space. That's funny to somebody. I don't know why. He doesn't want anybody in his space. Do you understand? That's his body. Remember, you're, as a believer, you're indwelled by the very Trinity. They're not so happy when someone's got their tongue stuck down your throat that's not your spouse. They're not, they're not so pleased with that. That's grotesque to them. That would be abominable to them. They don't want that kind of union, never mind the more intimate one. Do you forget that they indwell you? Do you forget that your body is a temple? That it really is, as Scripture says, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body? Do you forget those things? Some people seem to. But now you have the Scripture. Do you see it? Any questions? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of studying your word with such clarity. Thank you for giving us truth that sets us free, Father, and may we receive it with full conviction along those lines on the narrow road. We ask for your blessings, your traveling mercies, as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.